Just a quick word before we jump into today's podcast. This one was recorded on Tuesday before we found out that Odo Beckham Jr. will not be playing in the game today. So you'll hear a little bit of OBJ talk in here. Just ignore that part. And I think the Browns are going to be just fine without him as, as we get into on the show. The Texans secondary has plenty of issues. So enjoy this preview podcast with young Ari Gold. Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, back at it again to preview the Browns' Week 2 game. And in order to do that, had to bring on a guest from the other team, as we usually do. So I am pleased to be joined by young Ari Gold, host of the Texans Unfiltered podcast here on the Blue Wire Network. All right, your team's 1-0, perhaps surprisingly to some, though I will not say surprisingly to me, as I bet on you guys actually to, to beat the Jaguars on the money line. So I was quite happy with that performance. But how are you feeling with your Texans at 1-0 here after one week? Yeah, I mean, I, I expected to beat the Jags as well. You know, I, I didn't expect them, us to beat them the way that we did uh, in the manner that we did. Uh, just based on some of the things that, you know, everything, everybody knows all the things that have been going on with the Texans for the last eight months and how much of a joke of a franchise we are and things of that nature. So totally understand that we've kind of taken everything from the Browns, what you guys went through over the last four years. And now it seems like all of that was put into a UPS box and then shipped over to NRG Stadium and they opened <laughs> it. And now, <laughs> now we're getting all of that. But uh, so I think we'll have to probably take your name of your pod. Uh, the rebuild and uh, put that back over on Texans unfiltered the rebuild because you guys aren't on a rebuild and we're on a full on rebuild, but you know, it wasn't surprising. The Jags aren't very good. Urban Meyer is a terrible like NFL head coach. That, that That's never going to work. Um, and it was Trevor Lawrence's first game. I mean, they have, he has no wide receivers to throw up to. I mean, it was just a joke. It, it sucks for the Jag fans who, you know, had the number one pick and are probably going to be pretty bad for the next two or three years just because they have a terrible organization. But, um, you know, the team came out. Tyrod Taylor played extremely well. Uh, offensive line played well, which was really my biggest concern. Uh, defense had three interceptions. We had three interceptions all of last season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a very good game. Um, tons of effort. Um, you know, Coach Coley's really got those players excited to play. And, you know, even though there's not a lot of names that people would know, uh, they all went out and just kind of played their position and executed at a high level, which is something we can't say has happened for a Texans team over the last four or five years. So you brought it up. Everybody knows what's going on with the Texans. I don't want to get really into that situation because it's not going to impact this game in particular. But as far as the expectations of the team, you know, Terod Taylor comes in at the Browns fans are intimately familiar with Taylor, of course. You know, he, he was a quarterback at one point for a couple games for the Browns prior to Baker Mayfield taking over. Do you think that the, the talk around the Texans was too harsh? That Yes, you're on a rebuild, but also you've got a lot of experienced players on this team too, right? And as a, a fan who hadn't been paying as much attention to the, the – the Texans offseason until I was looking into the roster a week before the season. It was like, okay, you've got, you know, you've got Mark Ingram on the team. You've got Philip Lindsay on the team. Plenty of recognizable names are on this roster, sprinkled in, of course, 
with some guys that are rebuilding. So what did you make of the conversation around the Texans as kind of the de facto worst team in the NFL ahead of the season? Uh, I think, you know, it's it kind of just went and went along with everything else that's been written uh, about the Texans over the last eight months. You know, they're fumbling the way that the Deshaun Watson situation is being handled. They hired, you know, David Coley when there was 42 other head coaches who were so much better than him. They went and grabbed Nick Casario to do Patriot South 2.0. I mean, it was so easy for the, the narrative to just continue down the path of just gloomy days for, for the Texans. But ultimately, you know, this roster isn't a terrible roster. There's just not a great roster. You know, there's not I, – I can't think of a star on our team. I mean, like, and when I say – like, even, like, Lermy Tunsil, top five left tackle in the league, but still not even really known as, like, a star in the NFL. Not somebody that's really talked about that much. Sure, whenever top five left tackles come up, that's when you'll see his name. But outside of that, there's just not a lot of star power on this Texans team, but there are a lot of good players who have been extremely successful in this league. And, uh, you know, our running back room, for example, Mark Ingram, older guy, right? But had a hell of a game on Sunday, ton of effort. Bill Blinsey, uh, David Johnson, even, you know, if utilized properly is still a pretty good back in this league. Um, our, our tight ends, Farrell Brown and Jordan Akins are two guys that I, I think Farrell Brown will be a guy that people start to recognize and hear a little bit more, you know, more about later on during the season. He's probably a start in the making. You got Brandon Cooks, who is a guy who has a thousand yard season everywhere he goes. I don't think he's had an under a thousand yard season except for when he was hurt. Um, so uh, yeah, there's talent. Um, was it warranted? No, it wasn't warranted. It's just you guys, you, you know, when it's, when you, when there's a team that is down in the dumps, it's so easy for that, that narrative to just get, just continue and be the joke of the NFL and just bury him and bury him and bury him it, because those articles write themselves. There's no, there's not really a lot to, there's not a lot of substance to those articles. And um, I, I think the team is going to, is responding well. I think that it, it is a rebuild. How can it not be when you have a top five quarterback just decide to not play for you? Um, kind of changes the way that you approach the league or the, the season. Um but ultimately, I mean, they have the guy that they're going to be able to get a ton of assets for. The future should be okay. Um, and, you know, you just kind of got to take it week by week as a fan. You got to lower the expectations and just go in and hope that you have competitive football and just kind of keep it moving. And I think that's what we're going to get. Even with this week, I, I do think we'll be competitive. I don't know if we'll win. I picked us to win. But, you know, I'm an optimist at heart, and that's just the way I roll. For sure. I It's funny. I hadn't thought of the Browns-Texans comparisons beforehand, but you brought it up in your first answer. And the Laramie Tunsil answer was actually uh, uh, calling that back to me even more because for so many years, the Browns were the butt of every joke, but we had Joe Thomas. And right. Joe Thomas was kind of the guy where, you know, for so many years, his his all-pro talent was wasted uh, with you know, bad quarterbacks behind him and, and talent deficiencies across the rest of the roster. But he was such a great guy and he got, and he got overlooked for so long. And it felt like some people didn't appreciate him as much as they should have. So that was a, a good comparison there. But you mentioned it, this offense, and that's where I want to start because the offense, granted the Jags aren't exactly an elite defense, but the, the offense put up a lot of points 
uh, against the Jaguars. And there's talent at the skill positions for sure. I think the offensive line is a question, but I actually want to start with the coaching. And the fact that uh, Kelly, uh, Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator for the Texans is still there, who is the, uh, the offensive coordinator for the last couple of years. It, that seems, from an outside perspective, seems pretty unusual to me. Most of the time when you see changes in the coaching staff, the offensive coordinator doesn't remain unless they're the one being promoted to head coach. So give the Browns listeners uh, at this podcast a little bit more context about what happened there and what, you know, how that may have helped this offense retain some continuity uh, season over season. Yeah, so the reason why Tim Kelly's here is because Deshaun Watson specifically asked for him to be retained uh, at the end of the season last year. So uh, the Texans did it. Deshaun, they, they granted his request. They brought on brought back Tim Kelly uh, as the offensive coordinator, and uh, that's why Tim Kelly's here. Now, last year, if you you know, after week four, once Bill O'Brien was fired, we didn't win a lot of games, but the offense was rolling, and it was a completely different offense than what we were seeing under the previous regime of Bill O'Brien and everything else. Now, Tim Kelly was only our offensive coordinator for last year, so this is actually only his second year as OC. He was technically, I think, like the lead, like the play caller technically, but he wasn't even the play caller. Bill O'Brien was still calling plays. Like Tim Kelly never really had full control of the offense until Bill O'Brien was fired. Um, so he's kind of an unknown in the league because everything that he's been taught, he was taught by Bill O'Brien. Um, so he's been, un- he was, Bill O'Brien introduced him. He hired him. I mean, he, all his football knowledge and everything else that he has in his, in his brain, it all came from Bill O'Brien. So all the philosophies and things of that nature, play calling and stuff were all came from Bill O'Brien. Now you add Pep Hamilton into the mix, you know, Coach Coley, things of that nature. Now Tim's starting to build an offense around the players that he has uh, with Tyrod and Lindsey and Ingram and Cooks and, you know, Collins and everybody else. And, um, you know, he, he called a really good game last week. Um, based on what we've seen in the past, it was probably his best game. Uh, of, of uh, play calling that we've probably seen in the 17, 18 games. The offense was clearly effective. 37 points uh, against the Jaguars. And, and frankly, it, that's one of those games too, where if you study the game flow, it wasn't even that close necessarily. The Texans had 27 points in the first half. They, they, they pretty much let off the gas at the end. But my, my question would be this. Going forward, how much do you think they're going to put the ball in Terod Taylor's hands versus running the football? Because it did seem like, especially for those paying attention from a fantasy perspective, got a lot of runs. 26 carries went to Mark Ingram in that game. I think Philip Lindsay had, had eight carries as well. Was that byproduct of the game flow, or do you think this is going to be a more run-heavy offense this season? I definitely think it'll be a run-heavy offense. Um, you know, it's definitely been the, talked about a lot in all the press conferences and, and practices and training camp and things of that nature. I mean, there's a reason why you have three running backs like Lindsey, David, and and Mark Ingram. Uh, so the goal is to run the ball and establish the run. Um, but they also have the ability to play off of that run uh, by setting up the pass with the run. Um, Tyron looked really good passing the ball, but you know, they're going to use him in options and things of that nature too. So I, I would expect a heavy dose of, of, of a run offense 
this week and just for the rest of the season. For sure. I mean, I, I think that makes sense given the personnel. There are a lot of recognizable, recognizable names in the backfield. I can tell you I placed a waiver claim for Mark Ingram this week after seeing 26 touches from him, and, and I was looking for a fantasy football running back. So, And you set up the play action that way too. Yep. But that it was just something that really stuck out to me in week one is, is just how much they attacked the, the Jaguars on the ground. And it'll be interesting to see how they approach the Browns in week two because the Browns, the strength of this defense, uh, you know, most people will point to Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, that defensive line. And as they should, the Browns have revamped their, their secondary a little bit. And it didn't go that well uh, against the Chiefs in, in week one. But at the same time, I do think that secondary will perform better in, in later weeks. So I'm curious to see how the Texans attack things. But looking specifically at, at this matchup, what do you think the key is going to be for the Texans to be successful on the offensive side of the football against the Browns? Um, I definitely think that there's going to need to be a, a better balance of run and passes. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to stick with one or the other. They're really going to have to, I'd like to see them set up the run with the pass because I, I would expect the Browns to be ready for, for Ingram and Lindsay and David. Um, so I'd like to come out throwing the ball quickly and set that up into a rhythm and then start running the ball. Um, but you know, one of the things that I saw on Sunday that's not something I, I've seen from Tyron Taylor in the past was his ability to throw the ball down the field. I mean, he's kind of been known as check, check down Tyrod, right? Uh, you know, a lot of five, six yard passes, but this last Sunday we saw a lot of deep balls and, and we saw a, a very confident and beautiful deep throws from Tyrod that I went back and looked this week and there's not a lot of those. I think he has like a total of like six passes or something like that over 20 yards or something crazy. It's it's not that exact number, so nobody quote me on it, but it's a pretty wild number. Um, but I would expect to see more of that. Um, I'd expect to see Nico Collins in, involved pretty early. I think uh, Brandon Cooks will probably get a lot of the coverage, probably would have Denzel Ward on him. Um, who's your guys' number two corner? Greg Newsom, rookie uh, that, that the Browns drafted out of Northwestern, uh, right. just got his first start against the Chiefs. Tough, tough yeah. welcome party, but he he played pretty well in that one. Yeah, but he'll he'll be going up against Nico Collins, who's a massive beast out of Michigan. Uh, didn't play at all last year in Michigan. Uh, prior to that, was people were saying he would be a first round talent at wide receiver. He's going to be a guy that is, I mean, he's huge, uh, very physical wide receiver. So that'll be interesting to see. I'd love to see Nico get involved. And then from a linebacking perspective and, and coverage, I think Farrell Brown is, and Jordan Akins are going to cause a lot of problems for you guys if uh, if, if that's what the game plan uh, dictates. So there's definitely lots of different things that can happen on the offensive side of the ball. Clowney scares the shit out of me. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. Um, okay. Oh, swearing, um, Swearing's allowed on this show. We're uh... Okay. All right. Um, Clowney is my favorite Texan of all time. He's my favorite player. I love watching him play. I love his tape. You guys got a hell of a player. He looked good with, uh, for you guys, too, on, on Sunday, which was awesome to see. Um, and then, obviously, if you have Miles Garrett on the other side, like, it's just – it's going to be a good test for offensive line. It's going to be a good test for our tackles. Um, but, you know, I, I do think the, the offense can get moving. Um, I would like to see some outside runs because I think that's probably where we'll be able to shine. As I know Clowney and I know his game and he tends to over pursue. So there's going to be a lane open. 
um, on the outside, on the right side. So, um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I would, I would expect to see, you know, a good balance of, of pass and runs and, you know, hopefully, hopefully this game's a lot of fun and high scoring. Well, it's funny you bring up Clowney because to me, that's the, the key matchup in this offense defense battle. Like if I had to single out one thing, I think coming into the season, the concern would be that the Texans offensive line, especially outside of Tunsil, like you mentioned, they're going to have Tunsil to match up with Miles Garrett. And that'll be a, a heavyweight fight for sure. But on the other side of things, the right tackle position, I thought that, that Titus Howard was going to be your right tackle. And then it seems like Marcus Cannon was the guy that ultimately ended up winning that job and played pretty well last week. But I, dealing with Jadavion Clowney, to me, that's that's the matchup right there is, hey, that offensive line played well last week against a better defensive line. Are they going to be able to hold up in the same way? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the Jags have a ton of talent on the defensive line with Caleb on Chaseon and, and Josh Allen and things of that nature. So those are two guys that don't be talked about a lot. I mean, Chaseon was their number one or their first round pick last year. Josh Allen, you know, stud defensive lineman. So I'm not going to say that they're Miles Garrett and Jadavia Clowney, but they're definitely up there on tiers. Um, Marcus Cannon actually isn't technically supposed to be our starting right tackle. Our starting right tackle was Charlie Heck who unfortunately contracted COVID or was a part of the COVID tracing. So he was not able to play Sunday. Um, he's a former six-round pick from 2020. Uh, not really a guy that we heard a lot of last season. Then in training camp, you know, he really started to turn it on, uh, fix his footwork, looked like he was going to be pretty good. Um, so I don't know if you guys will get Charlie Heck or if you guys will get Marcus Cannon. Marcus Cannon's a, a pretty solid veteran in this league, played right tackle for the Patriots, did an extremely good job. Um, so, you know, with Clowney, how do you slow down Clowney? Well, Clowney really only has one move. Um, he has the bull rush. That's all Clowney has. Uh, he doesn't have to spin. He doesn't have very aggressive hands. He doesn't have a swat. Um, so if, as long as you can keep Clowney in front of you, you have a good chance of being able to hold Clowney at bay. But it's that get off that really gives Clowney the upper hand in almost anything because he's so fast off the line. Um, so if he's able to gain leverage off the line, it's going to be very interesting to see. So you're right. That's the, definitely the matchup I would be looking at as Marcus Cannon versus Jadavion Clowney. I'm excited to see it. it. It's tough to play the Chiefs in week one because it's just hard to evaluate your team in yeah. general. Like I mentioned, Greg Newsom, I, I'm a, it'll be great to see him play Nico Collins because he almost didn't factor in the game plan because the Chiefs just didn't really throw to their non Tyreek Hill wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side, they the Browns got pressure on Mahomes on like 44% of dropbacks but had one sack, I think, the entire game. So it's just, it's one of those things where, and I know you know this, but it was one of, you know, this defense is supposed to be so improved. And at times it felt like it in the game, but it didn't actually result in anything. So it'll, I'm curious to see how they fare against perhaps a more traditional NFL offense in in the Texans. I do think you, you brought up the name Pharaoh Brown as a Browns fan. That's what scares me is the Texans tight ends against the Browns linebackers, because I thought that was the weakness in our defense. I do think the secondary is going to be improved, but the linebackers, I still think there's there's ways to be taken advantage of, especially if they don't play our rookie Jeremiah Wusakoromoa more snaps than they did in game one. Yeah, I can tell you, um, Farrell Brown is a, a very physical tight end. 
Uh, not your greatest route runner, but just a guy that can rumble and stumble uh, when once he has the ball. He's a bowling ball. But then we have another guy in Jordan Akins, uh, number 88. He's been on the team. This will be his fourth year. He came out of, uh, gosh, what's the school in Florida? That's obviously not Miami or uh, University of Florida. It's, it's the one that everybody laughs at that like goes 16-0 and every year. Anyways, um, they – UCF? Uh, UCF? There it is. is. Yeah, UCF. That's it. So he actually had uh, he had a he, had, he he was drafted for baseball. He was 26 when he came out, and we we drafted him. So he was an older guy, um, very quick yard, you know, very yak type of tight end, um, receiving threat. Um, he, he has inline speed that most tight ends don't have, um, and he's got sure hands, and he's a great route runner. Sometimes he'll line up at wide receiver, sometimes he'll line up at tight end, and he wasn't a factor at all this last week against the Jaguars. I think you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets this, this week from the from the Texans, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Farrow and Jordan Aikens get going because, like you said, when it comes to the linebackers and coverage, that's definitely going to be an area that Coley and, and the offense is going to start to try to attack. Yeah, I have to imagine that's going to be the place that, that they go just because – the Browns defensive line is going to get pressure. So you don't want to hold the ball too long. You mentioned, yes, they took some more shots with, with Taylor and maybe those will be there. They were last year. Teams were able to keep the Browns at bay, but I do think this Brown secondary is going to be much improved. Ronnie Harrison, one of their safeties too, got ejected you know, a couple of plays into that chiefs game. And, and assuming that doesn't happen again, they should have some nice depth back there too. So the, the linebackers, I would say is the Browns weak point. I do feel that the Browns defense is much improved and going to have a little bit more success against the Texans. But we haven't seen it yet. As I said, that Chiefs game wasn't uh, exactly proof of concept. So, Well, this this game can't be worse than the Texans-Brown game of last year, right? Like, what, what, <laughs> I, was that? I hope not. That was, what, 10-6, right? That was like one of the most boring games I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was tough to watch. The Browns had a few of those. Uh, a few of those in a row, really, with some of the weather issues that they that they face throughout the year Jeez. too so i want to flip to the other side of the football too because i think that that'll be the the part where i'm most unsure about uh i do think the the browns offense is, is legit but the texans defense i must say i didn't expect a lot out of the texans defense this year compared to their offense they gave Trevor Lawrence some fits clearly in week one. What did you see out of them that you think led them to be successful against Lawrence? Um, you know, it's going to be somewhat of a, of, of a generic answer, but they played complimentary football. I mean, the pass rush got going. It didn't lead to sacks, but it led to a lot of hurries and quarterback hits. Trevor Lawrence wasn't very comfortable in the pocket. Um, and then our secondary was playing extremely well from the back end, the safeties all the way to our corners. You know, Vernon Hargraves is a guy who, First former first round pick with the Bucks, you know he was cut. He was with us for two years prior. This will be his third year. He's been trash ever since he got here. And then this year, you know he looked at he actually pretty decent on the outside. Now Texans fans and, and just Texans media in general, the biggest issues that we had in the past when it came to the Texans was coaching staff. We we did not have a strong coaching staff. We had Bill O'Brien who was kind of like the nace, the final say. And the coaching staff never really had any power. They never had the ability to really coach up their team. And um, this year, what we're seeing is the coaching staff really is is empowered by Coach Coley. And these guys are really giving 
the, the players everything they can to develop, and they're putting them in position to succeed. Now we're talking about week one, Jags, who knows, kind of similar to you guys, you know, Chiefs, how good are the Browns, you know, how are the Browns the Browns? Nobody knows. Um, but I will say that, you know, this defense, they, I mean, it's a Lovey Smith defense. They're going to take the ball away. That's just what they do. It's what Lovey Smith has been known to do since he's been in the NFL. I, I, he, I mean, he, I think he always has, there's like 10 years that he was like a DC and he was like top five in takeaways. It's just a thing that Lovey Smith does. It's something he coaches and preaches. And, um, I would expect there to be a couple more this week as Baker tends to tends to throw some picks. He does at, at times, but I, I will say I think Baker's gotten a little bit smarter with the football, number one. And number two, I think the thing that, that as a Browns fan, I, I have some confidence with in this game is at the line of scrimmage. Not only do the Browns have, have what I would consider one of, if not the best offensive lines in the league, but – the Texans, you know, they lose J.J. Watt, an older guy, obviously heads to Arizona. Uh, they it, they had Shaq Lawson, and then they ended up getting rid of Shaq Lawson. I think it, that's the part where uh, I would be optimistic as a Browns fan and maybe concerned if, if I was rooting for the Texans, is I do think the Browns are going to be able to have their way at the offensive line spots. But what, what did you see out of the Texans' defensive front that you think could translate to Week 2? Did, uh, didn't you guys lose? Uh, didn't somebody get hurt on the offensive line this week? Jed Wills did get hurt. He will probably miss this game. Uh, Kevin Stefanski said he's day to day, but uh, you would expect with an ankle injury. Uh, he's our left tackle, uh, second year guy. Uh, I will say he's probably the weakest link on the offensive line, but but still definitely a, a player that, that that the Browns will miss uh, in week yeah. two. So the, the when it comes to the Texans defensive line, it's a bunch of guys that not a lot of people know. So you know you have Charles Omenihue, uh, our, our third round pick out of Texas from three years ago. You have Ross Blacklock, our second round pick out of TCU last year. Uh, Jacob Martin, who we got back in the Jadavian Clowney trade. Now that's a guy that you might want to watch out for if he is lined up on the left side and it is a backup left tackle. His get off is very similar to Jadavian Clowney. He's very quick. Um, and he, he's kind of like our star pass rusher, the guy that most fans are just in love with, and, and we hope that this is the season he puts it together. Um, we got Malik Collins, who, um, you know, again, not like the most well-known name, but a talented defensive lineman down here with the Cowboys. Prior to that, was pretty good for the Raiders. Um, and then we lost Vincent Taylor, our defensive tackle, this last week, um, who was actually playing extremely well. Um, and now we'll have the fourth round rookie or no fifth round rookie Roy Lopez out of Arizona state, uh, or potentially Jalil Johnson. Um, the defensive line is not going to be Whitney merciless. They're, they're not going to be, they're, they're not going to cause a lot of issues, but they can be somewhat consistent in getting in the backfield. Um, you guys do have a better offensive line than Jag. So that right side of your line should be able to hold, uh, you know, merciless at bay. Maybe Charles Amenahue. It just depends on what Lovey does. We didn't see a lot of blitzes from Lovey this last week, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they didn't, he didn't feel like he needed to. So I, I think you might see a little bit, you know, some different things this from Lovey Smith when it comes to calling blitzes and things of that nature. But I also think you're going to see a difference in, in our pass rushing. Jacob Martin didn't get a ton of snaps. Um, he doesn't play the run very well. And on, when it comes to you guys, you guys are going to be able to run the ball extremely well. I mean, that's, you guys are built on the run with, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but 
On third down, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Jacob Martin. Jacob Martin's a name that I would watch out for if I was a Browns fan. That uh, And that's why we have, have somebody like you on. Jacob Martin, not a guy I'm familiar with, so I'll definitely be keeping an eye on him Sunday. Chris Hubbard is going to be the Browns' replacement tackle. Uh, he, a swing tackle who's been around the league for a while, uh, assuming uh, Jed Wills is not ready to play. He was okay against the Chiefs, not outstanding by any means. So that, that Hubbard versus Martin mashup could be something to keep an eye on. And you mentioned it. Uh, the Texans blitzed a lot last season. I think they were eighth in, in blitz rate when I looked it up, despite only being 25th in pressure rate. That's not yeah. the correlation you're looking to see typically. So that will, will definitely be something I'll have my eye on as well as how often do they bring the blitz too? Because Baker Mayfield in the first six weeks of last season was the worst quarterback in the NFL against the blitz. Over the last eight weeks of the season, he was the best quarterback in the NFL against the blitz. So the Chiefs didn't blitz as much as I thought they would. Uh, uh, you know, the Steve Spagnola defense, they didn't send the house very often against Baker. Uh, perhaps I, They were a little bit limited in terms of some of their personnel, you know, with yeah, Matthew out. out. And, yeah. and so I think that was part of it. But that, that give and take, I think, will be one of the things I'll be looking for. And then one of the other things I'll be looking for are, are those secondary matchups too. Just... To, to kick things off, the, the Texans got rid of Bradley Roby right before the season. So who is going to match up in, in that second corner spot for the Texans? Yeah, so it'll be Terrence Mitchell on the left, Vernon Hargraves on the right, and the Desmond King of the slot. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, um, good corner. I, I believe a former Brown. Yeah, Brown as of last year. So Browns fans yeah, will yeah. be intimately familiar with Terrence Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not, not a shutdown corner, but, you know, somewhat of an average corner. Can, can, can play man really well, um, decent in zone, uh, lengthy corner. Uh, Bernie Hargraves, I already talked about him, you know, up and down, lots of peaks and valleys involved with Vernon Hargraves, so it'll be interesting to see. Desmond King, still an unknown for us. We signed him this year. He was on the Chargers. He, he was a pretty good slot for the Chargers. Um, definitely probably the more excited, uh, the, more, the, the free agent that really made Texans fans most excited was Desmond King as he has a lot of potential in the slot, and the Texans haven't had a good slot corner in like five years. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jarvis Landry, is Odell playing this week? I would assume Odell's playing this week. Uh, TBD in terms of technically if we know he's going to be playing or not. I would think Odell Beckham is going to play this week. Having yeah. gotten the official word from Kevin Stefanski, I was surprised he didn't play last week. Apparently he told people ahead of the game that he wasn't sure how many snaps he could play, and they were worried about... If they activated him and he wasn't ready to go, they'd be thin at the receiver position. So I would expect him to play this week. Yeah, and he was—I mean, he was on the field practicing and all that before the game. So I, I would think that Odell plays. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because honestly, to me, my my biggest fear on defense is our is our, our cornerback group. You know, just a lot of unknowns. You know, if Terrence Mitchell Mitchell is your best corner, it's not saying a lot. Um, and we have some young guys that we'd love to see get some snaps, but we really don't know what we have in them because we've never seen them play in a real game. We've only seen or heard about what's happened in training camp practices. So um, I, I think the secondary is an opportunity for, for you guys, especially given your talent, a wide receiver um, with Donovan Peoples-Jones, Schwartz, uh, you know, um, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, and then not to mention you know, my one of my favorite tight ends, David Njogu, who for some reason just gets – like zero love in the in the Browns community. Um, 
yeah, I, I definitely think you guys will have an opportunity to take advantage of our corners. Well, you, you brought him up, and so I will too, and that's David Njoku. He's a guy that uh, perhaps I've been one of those guys that's given him zero love that you're referring to. A, a guy I've been frustrated with because of his drop rate at times in previous years. He made a, a big step last year, I thought, and he was also made a big step in blocking, which led to him being on the field more. And in week one, boy, oh, boy, he caused the Chiefs a lot of problems. And I do think that's another area, whether it's the secondary guys he's matched up with, whether it's some of the linebackers in the Texans that he's matched up with. Kevin Stefanski loves 12 personnel. He loves even 13 personnel at times. And Baker Mayfield always loves throwing to tight ends. And so that's another guy I think could have a huge day between him and the rookie Schwartz, whose speed really flashed in week one. Those two guys, I think, are giving Browns fans a lot of promise about the depth of this, you know, a skill position group and against the Texans uh, secondary that might not be very deep. It, that's where I think the, the, the Browns can really take advantage as well. Yeah. I, I you know, it's going to be interesting to see. We didn't have a lot of, you know, the, the tight end matchup against the Jags was kind of non-existent. Um, so it would be interesting to see. I mean, Njoku to me, physical freak, he's kind of like a, and maybe it's a bad comparison, but, He's kind of like the uh, the Jadavian Clowney to the Texans. Never really lived up to the hype to most Texans fans. Jadavian Clowney was just kind of a guy. Never lived up to the hype of the draft and everything else. And, yeah, he produced at times, but he was never really a consistent guy. And it seems like that's very similar to David Njoku with most Browns fans. Is tons of potential, freak athlete, chiseled, body of a god, but then drop rates and everything else that happened. So, um, but – you know, it'll be interesting because we, last week we didn't have Lonnie Johnson, Johnson active. He's a guy who shut down Travis Kelsey, um, which you don't hear very often. In the second half of our regular season game in 2019, he played an extremely physical game against Travis Kelsey. Probably one of the best games if, you want, if you're into film analysis, watching an All-22 of somebody take out uh, Travis Kelsey. It was awesome. Um and he was kind of used as like our not necessarily a tight end killer, but he was a guy that they would put on certain tight ends. I think it would be interesting to see if Lonnie Johnson is somebody that is active this week and is going to be matched up with David Njoku because from a size perspective, his length and all of that, um, he's very physical. Could definitely give Njoku some issues. And do you expect him to be active this week, or still a TBD on that front? Uh, honestly, I, I I don't know why he wasn't active. He was healthy. Um, so I don't know if it was a matchup thing. It seems to be something where, where, where from what I understand, it's going to be a game plan, uh, inactive, active uh, type of thing each week with Coley. Um, so this could be a week where Lonnie's active and another safety isn't. Um, honestly, I have no clue. Huh. That is uh, that's interesting. Do you think that's in part because as the Texans go along this season, maybe they might be dialing it back in terms of resting some of the veteran guys, playing some of the young guys, maybe, you know, trying to get in the right draft position. Do you think that's why they're taking that approach? I mean, I don't think they're taking that approach this early in the season, but. I definitely, and I, I don't think they'll take that approach throughout the rest of the season, to be honest with you. I, I think that they'll try to be as competitive as possible. No, I, I honestly believe it's a matchup thing. Um, that's what I think. I think, it's going to go based on matchup, uh, who's active, who's not, and, and who's going to give us the best opportunity to win. And um, last week, there was really no need for Lonnie. Um, you know, he's a, he's a third-year guy who was drafted out of Kentucky as a corner. Long, lengthy arms, lengthy arms. Um, 
first year, not so good as a rookie. I think he was like a third-round rookie, second-year-round rookie. Uh, then, out of nowhere, he's training all offseason, looks great in the offseason as a corner, um, and then training camp comes and he's moved to safety. He had no idea that he was going to be moved to safety, um, so he didn't prepare for it all season, kind of had a down year in safety. So, you know, I don't know what the plan is with Lonnie. Um, I know he was frustrated he wasn't active on, on Sunday, but, um, you know, I'm hoping that this is just more of a weekly matchup type thing where we'll see who's active and who's not. All right. Well, then, Browns fans, I'll have to keep an eye to see if he's active and see how that changes the game plan. The time has come. Let's get your prediction on the game. I think you already mentioned that you picked the Texans to win. So tell me why you think the Texans are, are going to come in and, and pull off the upset against the Browns uh, at, at home in Cleveland. The universe. Um, I just think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you shit on a team for so long. Like, it literally, like, honestly, I don't even remember a Browns offseason like the one that the Texans just went through. I mean, it was just like, no matter where you went, there was an article just completely dumping on the Texans for whatever reason it may be. A preacher that was hired and like all just all these things. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people are going to take them for granted. I also think that they can cause some issues. I think Tyrod Taylor's really motivated. You know, this is his first real opportunity to actually start since the Bills. Everywhere else, he's kind of had that first round rookie right behind him. Uh, Pep Hamilton seems to be in his ear and, and helping him develop as well. Um, and we have a lot of talent on uh, uh, on our offense. We really do. I mean, it's like I said, it's not names that people are outside of the running back room that people are going to be like crazy about. But our tight ends are very good. Um, Brandon Cooks is a very good number one wide receiver. And uh, everybody's excited about Nico Collins. I mean, he's 6'6". He's a beast of a man. Um, and I think our offense will definitely cause some issues for the Browns. Um, and I'm just an optimist at heart, so I'm, I'm going to just roll with, with the Texans to beat the Browns. So I don't know if that's a good enough reason, but I hope it's enough. Well, look, we're we're all fans here at the end of the day, and so I don't think that's a bad thing to be optimistic. I, I try to be as optimistic as I can, too, about the Browns. It's funny. Some Browns fans really go both ways. Like uh, Some of them are really pessimistic after all yeah. the years uh, of failure, but I think Cleveland sports fans in general by nature are optimistic, so you get really both ends of the spectrum here. I will say, uh, you know, I do expect the Browns to win this game. I think the Browns' offensive side of the football is going to cause a lot of problems for the Texans' defense. I think the, the trenches battle there is going to go in the Browns' favor. I think they'll be able to, to get some play action off of that, that, that the Baker Mayfield does so well. That's the side of the football I have the most confidence in. I, the other side of the football will be a little in, you know, I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on. I do think the Browns defensive line is going to cause problems more so than showed up in that chiefs game, but we haven't seen the secondary against a normal opponent. So I have a little bit more of a question mark there. I do think uh, that the Browns will be able to get some pressure. If Tyra Taylor takes the deep shots, that'll be the one thing that I think will be a good sign for the Texans. If, if he pushes the ball downfield, that will allow, you know, the, them to create some space where then they can potentially go after the linebackers. If not, if the safeties are creeping up, able to help out those linebackers, I do think the Texans could face some challenges there. I tell you what, I'm a, I'm a betting guy. After I, th I thought, okay, the Texans beating the Jags is a great thing for the Browns. They're not going to overlook them. They're going to be at home. They're going to be hungry after a Chiefs loss. 
I went to look at the line. 12 it's half. 12 and a half. That is a huge spread. So that is an absolute stay away for me. I would not go near that as a better. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would take the Texans on the 12 and a half. Or I would at least take the Texans to cover the 12 and a half. Yeah. It, it, when you get to the double digit spreads, for me, it's, it's hard. I don't, I mean, 12 and a half is a lot of points. I, I can, I see the argument for the Texans. We were talking about it earlier in terms of the off seasons and I, I meant to bring it up then, but it's, it's, it's a great point. It's why I bet on the Texans in week one is the off season. Everybody's painted. It, it's black or white. When in reality, the NFL is so much gray area, the margins between winning and losing as Browns fans saw in week one, it's, a couple plays. It's a drop punt from your punter. It's a fumble from your all pro running back. And then the game shifts. But I do think that the, the Browns have the advantage here. So it's probably a stay away for me, but I was, I was surprised that the line was that high for a week two game. I think it's, it's the highest line of the entire week. Packers lions approached it at 11, but I was, I was pretty, uh, taken aback that they would they would go that aggressive that early in the season has to make browns fans feel pretty good to be on the opposite side of the spectrum right like 12 and a half like when was the last time the browns were 12 and a half point favorites legitimately not since i i i've been betting it's i've probably been betting for four years at this point at least in some capacity i can't imagine the browns were ever 12 and a half point favorites i i without doing any research, I'm almost 100% sure. I'm like 99.9% sure. Because even when they played the Jets from last year, remember they had all of the receivers out because of COVID issues. So that line actually got down to like nine or 10. So I I don't think it's happened at all. So that even tells you that Vegas is just shitting on the Texans as well, right? 12 and the, the Browns have in four years have never had a 12 and a half point spread. But now they played the Texans, and it's a 12-and-a-half points, but it's crazy. That's utterly disrespectful. <laughs> I was surprised. We'll, we'll see if Tyra Taylor has his revenge. As I said, I will take the Browns uh, to win this one. I think it'll it'll kind of oscillate between a one-score and a two-score game, which is why I'm staying away from the line. But uh, it, it, the Browns also need to win. Dropping to 0-2 would be a, a problem for sure. So we'll see if they can get it done. But – I have to say thank you so much for for coming on Ari and and before we go you know let all the all the listeners out there know where they they can find you on Twitter and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is a good conversation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at young Ari underscore gold. That's y o u n g a r i underscore gold. Um, you can follow our podcast uh, Texans Unfiltered on all podcast platforms. Just search Texans Unfiltered. You can follow us on YouTube as well. We do a a weekly live stream uh, at nine o'clock every Tuesday where we record the pod. Um, and we also have a website where we do writing and things of that nature, player interviews, player analysis, film reviews and things of that nature as well. So um, yeah, really appreciate you having me on. And I just hope that uh, everybody ends up staying healthy after this week and we have a competitive fun football game. It should be a good one. I'm excited to watch it week two Browns Texans on Sunday. So Browns fans, that'll do it for the pregame content on this feed. Jordan Climack and I will be back on this one for a a postgame reaction after the game is over. But until then, two words for you ahead of Sunday. Go Browns.